The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com slash connect. Well, good evening. Good to be with y'all. If we haven't met before, my name is Garrison. I'm on our leadership team. Excited to get to be with you tonight. Uh, Happy 4th of July. Uh, Excited to get to be with you on the 4th. You could be a lot of different places, but you are here and we are thankful for that. Um, I don't know about you. I I think uh, this day, our Independence Day as a country, is uh, helpful for me to just reflect on some of the good things about our country, namely uh, some of the freedoms, specifically uh, Us as believers, as a church, we have the freedom to get together. That's not a luxury that all believers scattered across the world have. So I'm I'm thankful for that. Our country is not perfect. There are many flaws. We have a lot of work to do, uh, both as a country and as the people of God, to push back against injustices and inequality. But today, I think it is worth acknowledging the blessings of the country that we live in. You get to eat hot dogs and hamburgers and watch Hamilton for the 50th time. So go do that. That's what I'm going to do. Um, if you got a Bible, you can open it up to Genesis chapter 3. That's where we'll be kicking it off tonight. Uh, if you missed last week, what we're doing is we're in a series that's going to take up most of the summer for us. So we're going to take six weeks to look at what the Bible has to say about work. Each week we're going to talk about how our culture disciples us, how it shapes us and teaches us and forms us, how it teaches us to believe certain things about our work, and we're going to see how God gives us a better way to approach our jobs, our professions, or whatever you would call work. Um, Tonight I want to start with a quote. You've probably all heard of it. It's very famous, and it's this, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Do what you love, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Amen? We've, we've all heard this. It's very famous. It's everywhere. Actually, uh, I went ahead and Googled where it came from, who initially said it. Inconclusive. Very inconclusive. Your top three results. Confucius, ancient Chinese philosopher. Uh, Winston Churchill, apparently was thinking about work during World War II. And 1990s pop superstar Mark Anthony. Those are your three sources for this Quote, and honestly, that, that's really besides the point. What I'm trying to get at is this. Is it true? Is it true? If you work, you're perfect, you're ideal, you never have to worry about money again. Lines up with all of your, your strengths and your skills, your passion about it, your dream job. Will you never have to really work a day in your life? True or False. Uh, If you think the answer is true, I have bad news for you. The Bible is very clear about this one. It's very clear. It says it's not true. If you got your dream job, you'd still be annoyed. If you got your dream job, you'd still be frustrated. Quite possibly, if you got your dream job, you'd forget it was your dream job altogether because of how normal and annoying it would be at times. If you were able to do the thing that you, uh, you dream about, you're, you're most passionate about it, nine to five, five or six days a week, it would still not be enough. It would not be enough to keep you from being annoyed and hating your job. Tonight we'll see why. Tonight we'll see why. The Bible's going to inform this. So like I said, Genesis 3, a little setup for us. Tim talked about this some last week, but essentially the lead up to where we're at tonight. God creates the world creates a perfect world. He creates human beings without sin, without flaw, and he puts them in the garden, and he commissions them to work it and keep it. He gives them work in a perfect world. 
but he gives them one big command. It's to avoid eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any other tree, he says, except for this one. But we know they're tempted by Satan, and they fall into sin. They trade, they exchange God's authority They reject it, and they take up their own authority. And what we're going to see is what God is responding with, what's going to happen because of their choice. So this is Genesis 3, starting at verse 17. It says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you were dust, and to dust you shall return. I want you to hone in on some of those key phrases here and see if you can feel it in your life. It says, cursed is the ground. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. He says, this creation, this perfect world I gave you to cultivate, to work, it's now cursed. We said this last week, it's a big distinction. Work is cursed. It is not a curse, but it is cursed. And that is a big distinction. Because essentially what he's saying is creation now pushes back against our work. In other words, our relationship with work is now a mixed bag. Although it's good, it has intrinsic meaning, it doesn't always feel that way. While it's meaningful, it doesn't feel that way. It's not as fruitful as we'd like to be. We don't feel like we're as accomplishing as much as we'd like to. We put a ton of time and effort and we still find ourselves struggling to keep up with expectations and deadlines. What we're doing is we're experiencing the thorns and the thistles from Genesis 3. And you will experience the thorns and the thistles regardless of what the job description is. So you can be an accountant, and you can love numbers. I don't get it, but you can love numbers. But tax season's coming. and Your work-to-life balance is going to go out the door as you drown in those numbers that you thought you loved. You could be a business owner or a manager. You're going to have to deal with employees who, who cheat or don't care or get recruited by other companies, and you're going to have to hustle to cover for their failures or their weaknesses or replace them. Uh, for many of us, we, we dream about being in full-time ministry. You want to you bless people. You, you care about people. You care about God's Word. You care, care about the mission of the kingdom of God. You want to help people step into that. But what happens when what you meant as a blessing gets received as a curse? And although you had great intentions and wanted to love and care for people, they don't receive it that way. It's the thorns and the thistles. If you stay at home with your kids, you literally cannot stop working all day. No breaks. You can't take a lunch break. Not really. Nap time's not really a break because you got to tune into the baby monitor. You got to deal with meltdowns and meal plans, dirty dishes and dirty diapers all day. Regardless of what the job is, there will be thorns and thistles. Part of the reason uh, this is so frustrating to us is because of our own expectations. Whether you know it or not, we've bought in to the ideology of the dream job. We don't even know it, but we really do think if we just find the thing that we love, if we just find the thing that we're most passionate about, it won't feel like work anymore. The burden will be gone. You can say, no, the Bible's not true. 
in this area. But the Bible's not the only source saying this. Statistics, Google statistics affirm the same thing. Since 2010, internet searches for passion at work have more than doubled, with workers in the United States being the most likely to be interested. This is one of those times where statistics were the world, it finally catches up to what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. There is no such thing as uncursed work. If you boil it down, our culture says the problem with your work is that you're not doing what you're passionate about. You're not following your dreams. But the Bible very clearly says the problem with your work is that you're a sinner working in a sinful broken world. It's tough news on the 4th of July. It's tough news for us. The Bible is shedding light on this reality that we don't see or we like to ignore. It's lifting our head out of the sand. Although it's really hard to hear, the Bible actually is going to help us out a ton. It's going to give us a lot of help. So what I want us to do is I want to flip almost to the other side of your Bible to 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to see the solution that the Bible has for us. What we're going to see, I think, is that it is very possible with all of the, with the curse, with the thorns and thistles, it is possible for you to love your work and the ability to do so has little to nothing to do with what you do. We're going to see that it's possible to love your work And the ability to do so has very little to do with what you do. So flip over to 1 Corinthians 7, picking it up in verse 17. Reads this, Let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So Paul here is talking to bondservants. And I don't have a ton of time to go into what a bondservant is and what the the Bible uh, talks about with slavery. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I'd encourage you to go listen to Cole's sermon, again, on employees and bosses if you have any questions. What I really want to hone in on here is that Paul is writing to people that have a vocation that have work. And he's saying that the answer to our work problems start with the understanding of this word calling. The Bible's solution to our work problems start with the understanding of the word calling. Calling. This word, uh, I think, comes with a little bit of baggage or misunderstanding. I think it just gets uh, lost on us, essentially. Uh, if you go back and look at the uh, initial meaning of this word call in the Greek, the word is kaleo. And it means a, it can mean a simple call. It can also mean uh, an invite. But whenever you see God and kaleo in conjunction together or in the same sentence together, what it's talking about is it means you're being summoned by the king. It means you're being summoned by the king, the king of the universe. The king of the universe is summoning you, and you don't really have an option if that's what's happening. You have to answer. You don't have many choices. So if we parse through this text, we're going to see that there's two types of kingly summonings. The first is the call to salvation, the kaleo to salvation. You see this in verse 18. It says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. This is the summons 
of the king to salvation. He repeats this throughout the text. How were you when you were called? Remember your condition when you were called. He's saying that God has done a work in you in which He's called you. He summoned you to salvation in Christ. But we see there's another way that the word kaleo is used here. If you look back at that first verse in verse 17, it says, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. See that there's a call to salvation and Paul connects work to a calling. Connects your whole life to a calling. Connects your work to a calling. He says the key to enduring work to loving your work is to view it as a calling. You've been, you've been summoned by the king of the universe to salvation in Christ, and you've been summoned by the king of the universe to life and to the job you have right now. Your life, the life you have, has been sovereignly assigned to you by God, and it is his calling for you. It is his calling for you. I want you to let that sink in to your soul. Your life, your circumstances, whatever they are, how much you like them or not, were intended to be the way they are, to a T. Because he intends to use them. He intends to work through them. And the default seems to be that the condition does not matter. That it could be good or bad. The role does not matter. The circumstances, the job does not matter. Whatever it is is what God has called you to. So that's a pretty normal thing, right? Where you're like, what's my calling? I want to know what I'm called to. I want to know who I'm called to. Where am I called to be? It's pretty simple here. God has called you to be where you are right now. God has called you to be where you are right now. In my opinion, uh, the idea of a calling is pretty over-spiritualized. Uh, generally, uh, where we think of a calling as something where, where God speaks vocally, specifically to you, usually to say, hey, go, go be a missionary or go into ministry. And it can be those things. And those things are very good things. But a calling is not just about religious work. It's not just about religious work. Just because you're growing in your faith and falling more and more in love with Jesus, the things of God, you're, you're growing in love for the Bible and theology and your affections for God are being stirred, that does not necessarily mean that you need to go into ministry. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go to seminary. It may in fact, need, uh, it may in fact mean that you need to go into insurance or sales or start a business. We, we need workers the kingdom of God needs people who care about the kingdom, who care about the Bible, who care about the mission, who care about their jobs, who care about the workplace. From her essay, Why Work, author and poet Dorothy Sayers says it this way, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. I'm going to say that last line again. The very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. You should be great at your job. What the Scriptures are saying is that in light of the sovereignty of God, the job you find yourself in, regardless if you love it, regardless if you're passionate about it, is God's calling for you. It is his kingly summons for your life. And it might not be forever. You might have another job next week, but today it is his calling for you. Simply put, your calling is where you are right now. 
And you may think, you may, you may uh, initially think, well, that makes it not very special. That makes me not, uh, everybody has a calling then. Yeah, the sovereignty of God means that, uh, yeah, I get it. Don't miss this. This fuels your life with purpose. This is the Bible's solution to your problems with your job. Because it's saying that your work has purpose because you're there on purpose. You are where you are for a reason. It was planned. It was intentional, and there's a reason for it. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He says, we must recover the idea that all human work is not merely a job, but a calling. Our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. In fact, thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person and undermines society itself. Something can be a calling only if some other party calls you to do it, and you do it for their sake rather than for your own. Our daily work can be a calling only if it is reconceived as God's assignment to serve others. It's the key that Paul is giving to us. This is how you deal with the thorns and the thistles Monday through Friday. This is how you give yourself to your work to see that all human work is a calling. That God is doing something with it. That He's put you where you are for a reason. That's what the Bible's inviting us into. See work as a calling from God for the sake of His glory, for the, for the sake of your neighbor, and for the sake of the people that you're producing for, regardless if it's your dream job or not. You're not where you are on an accident, and it is possible in Christ for you to love your job if you actually believe that God is in control and that He has put you where you are on purpose. Uh, this is why your job issues are not just job issues. They are faith issues. They are heart issues. They are spiritual at the core. Because you have to ask, do you have faith to see that God has put me here for a reason? And two, that the ultimate reason is love for Him and love for my neighbor and coworkers. And ultimately, it's not about me. It's not about my self-actualization. It's about service. It's about His glory. Once again, it's pretty easy to think, and I'm guilty of this, I can see that with other people's jobs. I can see it with so-and-so's job. I can see it with my spouse's job. I can't really see it with mine. I can't really see it. It doesn't really feel like it. I'm being commissioned by God. It doesn't feel like a calling. It feels like I'm serving coffee. It feels like I'm putting numbers into a spreadsheet or changing diapers. It feels like Tuesday morning at or Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. doesn't feel like anything divine. Um, a helpful example that I've heard that kind of gives a little bit of vision to what uh, God calling us to our jobs comes from Martin Luther. He was a pastor during the Reformation. He has a great way of explaining how work is a calling. He argues that God is using our work to fulfill some of his promises on earth some of his promises from Scripture. He says, take the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he says, give us this day our daily bread. He says, think of all the things that you just prayed for. And that one line, think about all the people you just prayed for, even if you're just asking for a piece of bread. He says, consider the wheat farmer. 
person that planted the seeds, who harvested the wheat. Consider the baker who who made the bread, the packaging and delivery company, the grocery store worker who places it on the shelf, the grocery store worker who checks you out, the car mechanic who just fixed your car so you can drive to the store, the gas station attendant who helps you put gas in the car so that it's functioning. The men who work on the road so that you can drive on them. The Department of Transportation workers who arrange the stoplights so that traffic isn't mass chaos. You can go on and on, and that's just bread. That's all the people that you're praying for so that you can eat tonight. Eat one meal tonight. All of these people in their work have been called by God. They are His appointed means of answering prayer, and your job is too. That's why a calling is meaningful, because God has assigned you there to help meet needs. He wants us to see this, that you are part of God answering prayer. I think the truth is that we have no category for this. None at all. And we just get caught in the weeds at our work. You get caught in the tasks, you get caught in the responsibilities, whatever, and you fail to see the bigger picture of what God's actually doing in your work. So what I want you to take away tonight is God is doing something. As you do your work, God is moving. He has you where you are for a reason. He wants to use it. He's using you to love. He's using you to love, serve, and care for the world that He made. You get to pass His blessing on to the onlooking world, to people that know Him and don't. Your work is a calling. I think for, uh, for a lot of us, uh, my push for you and what these verses are pushing you to do is to care, to, to press in, to endure faithfully, and to work hard. But that's not the only way that 1 Corinthians tells us to approach our work. Uh, you can look back at verse 21 with me. We actually have more to unpack here. Paul writes again, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So Paul continues to talk to these bondservants, and he he pushes them. He says, remain in the condition in which you were called, the call to salvation again. He's saying you should fight for contentment where you are, to actually see it as intentional, as a calling from God. But he says something else here. He says to these bondservants, if you can gain freedom to do it, avail yourself of the opportunity. The truth is we're in similar situations. We, we live in a society where you're offered a lot of options. If you lived uh, a couple hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, you wouldn't have had the same opportunities. Uh, you would have probably had to do whatever your parents did. But because we live in 21st century America, you have the luxury of different options, of choices. So yes, the call is still, wherever you are, to endure, to be faithful, to care, to work hard, to fight for contentment. And because of the time and the place you live, you get to discern what to do. You can consider other options, and that is not a bad thing. So really, I just want to shift. It's going to seem like a hard shift, but I just want to pivot into just talking about some ways to to wisely, with discernment, 
kind of approach how you can look into other options with your work and discern it as a calling. I'm not going to be uh, doing exposition on verses. This is just some, some wisdom that our teaching team thought would be helpful, more so biblical principles. So we're, we got a little chart for you, a nice little uh, well, well-graphed upside-down triangle. Uh, this is the way that our culture would say to approach work, to approach discerning what to do. At the bottom, your foundation. What are you passionate about? What are your passions? Do what you care about the most. What breaks your heart? Go do that. Secondly, are you good at it? If you're passionate and good, good at it, go do that. And then start looking for your opportunities. And usually, that's where it ends. That's where you cut it off. If you're a Christian, sometimes you just sprinkle a little Jesus on top. The problem with any triangle like this is that it, it, it will fall. You don't have to know physics to know this. If your passions are the baseline, it will not work. We want to do something else, so throw the other one up. This is how we want to approach discerning what our call is, and that's by starting with God. Starting with God. Don't start with your passions. Your passions will get you into trouble. Following your heart is bad advice because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and without cure. Who can understand it? Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Your passions also are going to change. They're going to change. Uh, Let me tell you what I care about most right now. Mortgages and puppies. Mortgages and puppies. You know how much I cared about those things a year ago? Two years ago? Not at all. Didn't think about them ever. Not once. Things change. Your passions will change with time. So start with God. Uh, A good way to start with God is by thinking through what would glorify Him, what would establish His kingdom on earth. And this doesn't only mean ministry. It can mean a lot of different things. A couple questions you can ask yourself. Does it lead to human flourishing? Does this this job, does this opportunity, does it lead to human flourishing? How can I set myself up to do that? Are the poor... The marginalized are the under-resourced to be served. Do people get to hear about Jesus because of this job? Do you get to take raw materials and cultivate them? Is it for the greater good? Do you get to build up the, the, the kingdom of God? And then finally, is it good for you? I'm not just talking about your wallet. I'm talking about is it good for your soul to do this job? What about the earth? What about your neighbors, your city? Any work that pressures you to sin? Is not good work. It's not what you want to start with. So start with God, and then you get to look at your opportunities. So you ask, who do you know? What access do you have? What sort of job can you actually get? What has God put in front of you? Sometimes things just pop up out of nowhere. That's a job opportunity. Maybe you should ask, what are your needs right now? So if uh, you have a family of five, and you're the only one with an income, maybe don't take a $20,000 to $50,000 pay cut. That would not be a smart idea because of the way your needs are right now. So look at your opportunities, look at your needs, and then consider your abilities. Learning what you're good at is a valuable pursuit. There's going to be some things that you're not good at. There's going to be some things that you're good at. And then after that, consider your passions. With this, the bottom two are non-negotiables. The bottom two are non-negotiables. The top two are negotiables. You can flex into your abilities. You can learn new skills. You have to follow Jesus. Um, this has been really helpful for me. So as we uh, moved up here, I uh, kind of wanted to think through things like this. So uh, for me, a little bit of my background, uh, I went to school for religious studies. 
And then uh, I worked at a church for five years. And after a couple years, we felt like God was calling us to move up here and to help start this church. Uh, As it turns out, religious studies majors from the University of South Carolina, they don't have a ton of lucrative job options. Who would know? I don't know. I tried to plan with the end of mind. Didn't work out super well. But we wanted to follow Jesus. We wanted to follow Jesus, and we knew it would be tough. I knew it would be tough to find a job. So, even with that, the job needed to be flexible. It needed to be able to lend itself to us getting up here. So I did what is pretty obvious for any religious studies major. Started looking into mortgages. Pretty obvious next step. That was an opportunity that was put before us. And we looked at it. I didn't know anything about it, but I thought I could do it. And it was there. And it met our needs as a family. So I stepped in. The abilities and the passion, it's being cultivated, but I didn't have that. I didn't know anything about this. I had to learn. I had to grow. I didn't have the passion about mortgages. I didn't wake up in the morning being like, man, can't wait to help people have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for 30 years. That just wasn't on my mind. But I love my job. I'm starting to really be passionate about it. But that happened over time. And I hope that you can find something that you're passionate about. I really do. I really do hope you can find something. But ultimately, you need to be praying that your passions would get shifted and be aligned with what Jesus is most passionate about. His kingdom, His glory. I'll give you some final thoughts uh, as I start to wrap up. I hope this chart is helpful to you, uh, where you are. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's not going to matter because we still live in a Genesis 3 broken and cursed world. There will always be thorns and thistles regardless of how good the advice is, good, how good the tips are. So when you face the thorns and the thistles tomorrow morning, I want to give you three things that you can do. Three things. Coming out of Colossians 3, 22 through 24, You don't have to flip there. I'll just have it up behind me. It says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of the heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. That's for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When you feel the curse, when you get caught up in thorns and thistles tomorrow, Number one, work heartily. Work heartily. Work hard. Uh, the Greek word for heartily here, gets, uh, it, it's translated as suke, which we usually translate as psyche. In the West, we talk about it as the mind. That's not really what the Greek is talking about here. The, the real tr- uh, translation is your total essence, the breath of life in you. In other words, your heart, your soul, your mind, your everything. Paul is saying, put your all, put your everything into your work. And I want you to think about it. Who's he talking to? He's talking to bond servants. How on earth can he say this to a servant? There's no worse job than that. How could you step in and care about this? And Paul says, no, you can give yourself to that type of work too. Because ultimately, it's not about what you do. It's who you work for. It's not about what you do. It's who you work for. You don't work for your master. You don't work for your boss. You work for Jesus. Which leads me to my second. First, work heartily. Work hard. And then second, see your work as discipleship. 
see your work as discipleship to Jesus. Paul connects their work to the gospel. He gives them a new story to reframe their work. He says that Jesus' redemption of your life, it changes how you approach your work. You don't have to put the weight of your hope, your identity on your career, on what you have now or will have later. He says the most important thing about you is not the job you have, but who you belong to, who loves you. Because at the end of the day, one day you're not going to be working anymore and you will still belong to Christ. Your work will pass away, but His love for you will not. Uh, your work is the means, one of the means by which God wants to, to shape you and form you and grow you in, for, in love for Himself. And we get to discern that. We get to discern what we do in community, with, in prayer, going to God. But don't miss this. The Bible is way more concerned about how you work than what you work on. The Bible is way more concerned about the how and who you work for than the what. See work as your discipleship to Jesus. And the last point, remember Jesus' work. Your Savior worked. He had a normal job. He was a carpenter. And he worked as he saved the world. He himself experienced the thorns and the thistles that all of us deal with. He literally was given a crown of thorns. Jesus himself didn't always love what was said on his plate. We see him in the garden on his way the night before the cross. He says, Father, if you would, please let this cup pass for me. Yet we know what he did. He endured. He endured to the end. Hebrews 12 says it this way. It says, Who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He experienced the curse and endured till the end. He was the perfect worker that you and I will never be. And that actually frees us up. It frees us up. Because our identity isn't in being perfect. We're freed up to struggle and fall as we fight through the thorns and thistles, because we see our Savior who endured perfectly to the end. So we're freed up to try, to work hard, to try to glorify Him in it, to see it as our calling. So church family, let's, let's fight to figure this out together, to discern what we're supposed to do, and to live out the callings that God has put on our lives. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are, we are thankful uh, that you shed light on, uh, on what our work, what our problems with work really are. Uh, we confess that we miss it. We think it's all about doing the thing that we're most passionate about, finding the thing that we would enjoy, that would be easy, that lines up with our skills. But God, you, you cut to the heart. Show us that's not what it is about. Uh, it's about our souls. It's about uh, our sin and that we live in a broken and cursed world. God, help us to repent. Help us to repent and see that where you have us is intentional and that it's good and that that fuels our lives with purpose and meaning. Help us to see that. We need your Spirit to, deal, to help us deal with the thorns and the thistles tomorrow morning. Lord, this is hard. 
It's really difficult to see this in our lives. Help us to discern if we need to make a shift. Help us to start with you. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the perfect worker that we could never be. And that frees us up to try, frees us up to work hard. Help us to see our work as discipleship. And let us remember you. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. We, we pray it all in your name. Amen.